0: Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. To stand in the gap, to be aware of a need and then fill it. This is what informed Jesus's actions. His words in today's scripture to his disciples remind us of that in-between space. My space is in between the Thanksgiving prayer that Ellie just shared and the musician's next anthem. Brief, yes, but I'm aware of its significance. As you listen to these words, Where do you find your in-between space? Matthew 25, verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I would like
1: to open the message this morning with a land acknowledgement. We are currently gathering on Maricopa, Akimel, Thana'atum, Pima, and Thana'atum lands. And I want to recognize this because I think we need to extend our humble gratitude for uh, those folks being stewards of of the land for all of our time here. So here we are between those sermon series. The last one was a second part of a three-part series on evolution. And the next one is um, going to be examining a deeply held ritual uh, from Christian denominations. And so I get the freedom to be the in-between I went to Lutheran Theological Seminary of Philadelphia, and during my time there, I earned a C in a class called The Art of Worship. And it had a colon and lots of words after that because that's academia. But for now, it's The Art of Worship. I'll spare you the details of all of the things that we learned in that class, but I do want to let you know that it has deeply transformed the way that I approach being up here in front of you. It helped me to think about Christianity differently and the practices of punishment and forgiveness, love and healing, and art and ritual. Now in all fairness, when my professor told me about the C, he didn't know I wasn't actually an overachiever and I was just happy to have gotten that C. Uh, He shared that he believed that while I wasn't exactly grabbing the concept of what he was trying to make connections to that semester, he knew that I was on to something and encouraged me to continue to examine that. And he also knew that I would enjoy that journey of discovering what ritual might be for not only just me, but the communities I find myself in. And so here we are. You are on whatever 365 times uh, 12 years is, of how many times I think about the role of ritual in our lives. So to bridge the in-between, today I want us to look at the evolution of our rituals pre-COVID and now during COVID. 2020 transformed us in so many ways, and we're going to continue to discover those for probably hundreds of years. And throughout the past 16 months, we were witness to the desire from many of us to learn more about viruses and how they're spread, to learn more about what defunding the police means and could look like, and we were also witnessing the journey of what learning and working from home could look like for the rest of time. And of course, we were relearning more about mutual aid practices and how to care for one another while we were apart. We witnessed marches. We witnessed the benefits of full access to universal health care with free COVID tests and vaccinations. We witnessed the growth of people's ability to survive because they were finally getting a livable wage and not having to work two to three jobs to maintain that. We witnessed an evolution of thought of really realizing how deeply connected we are and impacted we are by racism and capitalism and genderism. And finally, we were witness to how to live in a world where we clearly chose who was essential and who was not. So for the rest of today... Reflecting on that, I um, encourage you to think a little bit more deeply about what rituals you held on to this past year. What was the point of practicing those rituals in isolation? And then what changed for you? I've been asking many of my friends and mentors, poor Pastor Tony, about what has changed in their lives in regards to ritual. Where were they finding comfort and how were they practicing that ritual? Many of them would uh, very openly share with me that they began to question ritual, at least the ones that we had uh, practiced together before because for whatever reason, practicing them alone or in isolation uh, had them really discerning what the rituals were meant for and who they were meant for. And all of this, they were recognizing that living in the midst of a COVID racial and economic pandemic was just sometimes too much. And then together, we asked the larger question of, again, what is ritual for? How does it influence the way we think and feel and act? And where does the meaning come from? While also trying to understand the influences of our own upbringing, our homes, our people, into the meaning of ritual. And then we practice this alone. What does it mean to practice something alone? Philosophers have called that state of isolation and disconnection that we experience collectively in 2020 as species loneliness, a deep, unnamed sadness stemming from estrangement from the rest of creation, from our loss of relationship, from our loss of communal ritual. Indigenous elders have said that ceremonies or rituals are the way we remember to remember. So how are we going to remember 2020 and 2021, especially when so many of us were again alone and separated? So to help me answer these questions as if there could be an answer, I actually was thinking very deeply about this when sitting in on all of our Zoom services and gatherings, and and I realized that maybe ritual started with that, the actual slowing down, paying attention, and listening. I also started reading Robin Wall Kimmerer's uh, Braiding Sweetgrass. This during that time. And so many of you have heard me refer to that book so much um, of late. It's because I'm revisiting it and it has a different meaning. And in this text, you know, she shares examples time and time again of how Mother Nature gives us examples of not only what evolution looks like, but what ritual practice could be like in relationship with ourselves and with the earth and all that inhabit it. And how that too, that practice of ritual, can evolve. And it begins with the mentioning of the Thanksgiving Address. The definition of ritual from Oxford Dictionary actually comes from the Latin ritues. And as a noun, it is a religious or a solemn act. It's a social practice or even a conventional act. And since that class and during uh, some of the popularity of our social media sites in the last five or six years, I've actually wondered what is the difference between ritual and habit? Does checking our email or social media accounts first thing in the morning while we're still in bed, perhaps in the bathroom, maybe even at our table drinking some coffee? Is that what counts as feeling right and settled in the world? Were those things our rituals? Does being connected to and through technology count as a conventional act? And I asked that broader question today because of late I've been seeing memes, which are little pictures with words or sometimes dancing people. I guess those are gifs or gifs, I don't know. And I've been on social media, and I've been seeing those memes, and and a lot of them have been asking, what are our morning routines look like? What do they look like? And how do they influence the way that we move throughout the world for the rest of our day? So again, going back to last year and reading through Braiding Sweetgrass and sitting in on our Zoom meetings, I began to understand the practice of ritual as something that we do to feel right and settled in the world. And if ritual is indeed about helping us feel right and settled in the world, are we practicing that ritual out of fear? Fear of the unknown? And if that's the case, or even partly the case, what impact does practicing that ritual have on us individually and collectively? What rituals are we holding on to that may not benefit the whole of us? According to Robin Wall Kimmerer, she says, from an indigenous perspective, rituals, large and small, practiced alone, are together, have the power to focus attention to a way of living awake in the world. They come to be a vehicle to belonging and to family and to a people and to land and to something sometimes unexplainable. We as a church community have come to believe that the power of ritual can marry the mundane to the sacred, And we can see that in the way that a church service is conducted every Sunday to the Lord's prayer. I believe that many of us communally practice these rituals in order to connect not only to the sacred and to one another, but to that thing bigger and broader than we can even comprehend. If we do indeed believe that ritual can transcend the boundaries of individual and community, and actually have a larger impact, that can actually resonate beyond our human realm. And then our rituals, if all of that is the case, if if we can share our ritual and it moves beyond the human realm, then that's pretty powerful. That can magnify our lives. Robin Wall Kimmerer says, ritual can help us focus our attention so that our attention becomes our intention. Let's say that one more time. Ritual can help focus our attention so that our attention can become our intention. And if you stand together to profess a thing before your community, then you can be held gently accountable. But does that really work? Professing something, practicing a ritual in community, does that actually hold us gently accountable to an intention? Perhaps has ritual lost its meaning? And if so, what are we doing to give it back? Last week, Pastor Tony talked about uh, carpe diem, I was a huge Dead Poets Society fan. It came out when I was in high school. I saw it more times than imaginable. It um, encouraged me to be a teacher and a poet. And whenever passwords became a thing on email, carpe diem was my password. It became my ritual to type in all the time. And it became my ritual to think about carpe diem as in every time I woke up and I thought about it or I typed it into the computer that I was going to seize the day until it just became muscle memory. So how do we ensure that our ritual doesn't lose meaning for us? Again, what reading Braiding Sweetgrass and the conversations I've had with others has taught me about ritual is that maybe we just need to start first with the slow down and listen. To pay attention to the lives around us, to pay attention to the trees and the birds, to the water, to the rain clouds and lightning bolts, to pay attention to the person who is standing on the street corner asking for water or change, to pay attention to the person coming out of prison with no place to go, And to pay attention to the people who garden our foods locally or in the next state over. And to pay attention to those on the freeways that drive that food to where we can actually have access. Listening and standing witness to ritual creates an openness to the world in which boundaries between us can dissolve in a raindrop. But what happens after we participate and practice that ritual? Do we slow down enough to listen and allow ourselves to be open enough to where boundaries can become invisible? And how can we ensure that the result of participating in a ritual doesn't lead us to, uh, or does, I should say, lead us to what today's scripture encourages us to do, to feed the hungry, to know that water is life, and to welcome the stranger to where the boundaries between us dissolve like raindrops. Matthew 25 teaches us that how we welcome the stranger into our midst is literally how we treat religion itself, our faith. In the New Testament, the stranger and all who are vulnerable are at the very heart of the gospel, And in particular, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus offers a vision for which caring for people is the defining mark of God's kingdom. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. This vision and the acts of standing witness to the ritual of caring for one another actually can reimagine the, human, the humanity and even the dignity within humans, just as Jesus demonstrated for us. Jesus asked us to evolve our understanding of one another and the things that we were a part of to be something bigger than ourselves. And throughout the New Testament, he introduced us to the reimagining and the evolution of ritual. I'd also like to think a possible take on these very commonly used verses is the creation of a new ritual. The connecting the everyday of the feeding, the drinking, and the welcoming that can connect us to that larger idea of God's kingdom. And I wonder in the reimagining of this ritual, can we actually participate or practice it in a way that will help us be in right relationships with ourselves, with one another, with Mother Earth, and of course with the sacred and the divine, to see that we are indeed all linked in a co-evolutionary cycle. For what could ritual look like if we just remembered that we all What if we had a practice of a ritual that allowed us to move beyond the binary of being good to just living in a world where just being is good enough? Ritual can be the basis for reflection and for slowing down, but it can also be the basis for action, intention, as Kimmerer says. And remember earlier indigenous elders said to us that rituals are a way for us to remember to remember. So again I ask you how are we going to remember 2020 and 2021? And when we do remember these years can we see and gain comfort in knowing that we the way we lived before 2020 has now finally ended it is done we cannot go back because now it is time for us to reconnect and reimagine our practice of, of rituals that don't serve ourselves and our communities. And friends, that's okay because we can develop and evolve along with ritual. We are entering a new era of responsibility which requires all of us to be more socially minded human beings with the potential for a more and new participatory practice of love, hope, healing, and ritual that are filled with care and community. And rituals, you know, that we experience, while they are uniquely our own, we all don't take communion and feel the same way. We all don't participate in the breathing exercises I guide us in periodically and get the same thing from it. And and that, too, is okay. Because collectively, we can actually look at not only our intentions or what we walk away from ritual with to be ours, we can look at what those rituals can be for the rest of the world so that we can help to alleviate the suffering of others to the very best of our ability. Our remembering of COVID-19 and the other pandemics I mentioned can also include the understanding that the wondrous things that we've had in life have always happened parallel to the terrible. Yes, indeed, there were people who were finally getting a living wage, but we also lost millions of lives because they passed away from COVID or COVID-adjacent. We know that the evolution of a society that is based on people experiencing their creativity in the midst of devastation can actually be one of the greatest historical contributions of humankind. And with those powerful words found in Matthew 25, 35, Jesus poses a challenge to us that causes us to see the ritual of welcoming can be done with compassionate eyes, And if we were to take those words seriously, we can no longer be able to gather around food-filled tables and offer praises and prayers without also examining our hearts to discern what we can do better to serve the poor and the marginalized. A species and a culture that develops and practices rituals that treat the natural world with respect and reciprocity will surely pass on those genes to generations with a much higher frequency than the people who destroy it. For if our rituals are empty with no meaning, or if they become just performative, or they are practiced out of fear, then perhaps that is what will continue in our world. Our relationships to the sacred, to the divine, to ourselves, and to one another will be marked by fear and emptiness, if any of those things can happen. And if we end up practicing our rituals out of a space of fear, then, friends, how poor do we become? And finally, Robin Wall Kimmerer shares with us that our rituals have the power to open the way to living in gratitude and amazement at the richness and generosity of the world and its people. Rituals that bestow our own gifts in kind to celebrate that kinship with the world can actually help to choose and feed and welcome those who are without. Let us evolve. Let's let our rituals evolve. Let's seek to feed, to provide water, and to welcome our strangers.
0: Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online-giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.